Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, folks, and welcome to Typology, the show in which we explore the mystery of the human personality through the lens of the Enneagram. I'm Anthony Skinner, producer of the show. We've got another great one for you today. I'll let Ian do the introductions, but before I pass it off to Ian, I want to remind you to join the conversation with us on social media by following Ian at Ian Morgan Cron. That's on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And you can also follow us at Typology Podcast. That's T-Y-P-O-L-O-G-Y Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook as well. Hey, that's it for me, Anthony Skinner. Short introduction today. I know you're going to enjoy this episode. And now, here is the host of our show, Ian Cron. Emily, welcome to the show. We are so delighted that you're here. I'm so thrilled to be here. And I am so excited about your book, The Next Right Thing. And can I tell you why? Yeah, I'd love to hear why. Okay, so this morning I was in a very bad space. I was in a bad four space. And you know about that because you're a four. I do. And I was in that space where like the world was collapsing. Uh, I was in that space of, and it's all my fault. Right. Right. And then, you know, that sort of <laughs> like that, the interjection of the four. And I was in that, that place where I'm like, you know, why can't I ever pull it together? Why am I always disappointing people? You know, blah, blah, blah. You know, the script runs on and on and on. And I called my AA sponsor, who is an amazing human being. And at one point, he just said to me, Ian, simply do the next right thing. <laughs> Amen. I love it. All right. So tell me, the name of the book is The Next Right Thing. What's the meaning of the title and why did you write it? Great questions. Well, you mentioned AA, and I had a teacher once who said that AA is really the most successful discipleship program in America because, you know, thinking about our churches could learn a lot from AA because they they have such a great track record of um, forming people, of of bringing about transformation in people's lives and doing the next right thing is one of those things. You know, it's one of those mindsets. Um, my dad's an alcoholic as well and granddad and granddad before that. And so oh. I come from a long line. Yes. Alcoholism doesn't run in your family. It gallops. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh gosh. Yeah. And we wonder why we turn out these ways. Exactly. Um, you know, but so, so growing up, you know, AA was kind of always a part of my subconscious, um, though I didn't really understand a lot about it. It just was sort of floated around because it, luck, thankfully, my dad's been sober for 30 years. So, you know, there's recovery there. But all that to say, 
clearly I didn't come up with the next right thing. That That is something mm. that has been quoted and passed down by wise people oh. for many, many years. You know, this concept right. of doing the next right thing. I know you, I've heard, I've read Mother Teresa has said it, Martin Luther King Jr. and Lamont, lots of really smart and brilliant mm. writers and thinkers and people and world changers. Um, but for me personally, um, this concept of doing the next right thing has in so many ways um, changed my life because I think, you know, any talking Enneagram as a four, I tend to, um, you know, when I'm in this moment, I'm here and I'm absorbing everything of this moment. And it can be difficult for me to look off into the future. But when I do, I see it all at once and it can be really mm. overwhelming. And that um, idea of just do the next right thing has been really freeing for me. Mm. And so it came about really from needing to make a big decision in, in my life. And I started to pay attention to the ways I was paying attention. So I had the decision to make and that was sort of out here. But then on the inside, you know, reflecting and thinking about self-observing, if you will, I thought about how this decision was captivating my attention. It was um, causing me to listen in ways I wouldn't normally listen, um, to talk with people in ways that I wouldn't normally. And so I started taking notes and Mm. I thought this idea of decision making um, is such a transformative part of our lives. If it weren't for decisions and choices, what would we ever need to do? <laughs> like, there's no change that would ever need to happen. I feel like there's so many things that decision making does for us. And doing the next right thing is a decision making um, lifesaver for me, honestly. Mm. So you just a little light went on for me. So fours in health go to the high side of one. And it seems to me that that's a one question. Right. Like what's absolutely the, what's the next right thing. So when a four or any number, I think it's in health, actually. But for a four, particularly, you know, just do the next right thing is a question or, or a spot they may come to when they're in a place of, of, of good health. Yes. And I have experienced that. And when I am not asking myself that question, I'm trying to carry everything at once. And I'm carrying also all the responsibility for it. Because mm. clearly it must be my fault, all my inability to handle. Yep. Um, so the next right thing, it is. it feels like a healthy question. It's a life-giving question for me. Mm. Yeah, because otherwise you feel like you're under a waterfall of information flooding you and opportunities and problems and stuff. It's like, take a deep breath. Like Thich Nhat Hanh, breathe, right. breathe, smile, go slowly. And then we'll add, then do the next right thing. Yes. Yeah. I love it. Okay, so you said you were faced with a decision, and I'm I'm just curious to know what was this decision that was so monumental that you start writing about it and your your attention migrates toward it all the time. Well, this was it was about two years ago, and I was deciding whether or not I wanted to go to grad school. So I was thinking about uh, if I wanted to get my master's degree or not. And it feel it's a very privileged choice. Like, let's just be real. This is not a life or death situation. Mm-hmm. If I didn't go, everything would have been fine. No one was going to, you know, die. But but it, for me, as a, as a mom of three, t- I've got, you know, three, three teenagers, and I'm married and alive, and all the, all the things. Um, that's one of those decisions that sometimes those are the kinds that trip us up, I think, because it's sort of a luxury. And you feel like if you do it, then um, what are you going to be saying no to or turning your back on um, 
so that you can fill the space with this new adventure, this new thing that you might want to do that quite honestly, it was very, it it was for me, you know, I mean, definitely it will enhance my work, I think. And it would, you know, there are things, but, um, but I struggled with feeling like, oh no, I'm, what am I going to be taking away from my family to, to move towards uh, this decision to go to school? And so that was, that was honestly the decision. And it was so annoying. I annoyed myself. I got on my own nerves because I couldn't make it for so long. It felt like I just had this chronic case of hesitation where I couldn't, I couldn't move. And so I started realizing, you know what, if the deadline's not here yet, I don't have to decide yet. So what's the next right thing I can do to make this decision towards this decision today? And it was, well, I'll have a conversation with this person or I'll read this article on this thing or, you know, I'll have an, you know, so there are little things that you can do. I think sometimes that we forget because we're so focused on the giant thing. So you just made a really wonderful, important point um, that I think is helpful for every Enneagram number, but particularly for fours who get emotionally flooded. We have the most fertile imaginations on the Enneagram. And so, you know, a lot of data is coming in and feelings are coming in all at once and we can get flooded. And the question, you know, what's the next right thing? Or the, 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 the words of wisdom just do the next right thing could be so powerful, but it's for every type. It's perennial cross-type wisdom. Like we could all stop for different reasons as each Enneagram type to ask, what's the next right thing? Yes, it's so true. Mm, mm. What In your mind, because um, you were thinking, just talking globally about decision-making, like what is, like, is, can you deconstruct decision-making for me? Like what? What what is it? <laughs> what is decision making? Yeah, <laughs> yeah because That's apparently such a question. I know. Apparently, I need the help. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's here's my 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 learning and observation of of how I will simply say is that I think we tend to we tend to hyper focus on the decision itself, mm. and the more I think about decision making, the more I'm realizing that it's less about making better decisions and more about learning to make decisions in a better way Mm. because that becomes more character shaping uh, than just uh, focusing on the decision. I think think when I focus on the decision, I'm really living my life out here, whereas, you know, I love to live my life from a from the inside out, from a place mm. of truth and wholeness, and sort of activating all parts of myself, my head, heart, and my intuition. Um, and I can't do that when I when I wait till decisions come to me and then I react to them. Instead, um, I think it's really important in the decision making process to live a life of reflection so that I can respond as the person I most fully am. Mm. And a way of doing that is um, learning to live a life of doing the next right thing, starting with, honestly, and and we can just kind of get into it thinking about making decisions. I think a really important part of the decision-making process that we often uh, ignore is um, naming the unnamed thing, naming Mm. the unnamed things, naming the narratives that are happening beneath the surface. Because sometimes when it comes to a decision, like, like a simple thing, like where to send your kids to school or whether or not to take this job offer, um, there are narratives happening beneath the surface that if I don't take the time or I'm not self-aware enough to name them, they will inform my decision, but I won't, um, become more fully myself. And so, 
recognizing what is the story that my life is telling me beneath the surface um, and how might, might I actually be focusing on the wrong decision? Sometimes I realize I'm trying to make a decision about a thing that actually isn't the point. It's actually a whole bigger thing over here. Um, so all that to say, I think naming the narrative is a big part of the decision-making process that is often ignored or not thought about. Mm. As you were saying that too, I think what can cloud the, the, the landscape for us as we sort of uh, look at a decision is, you know, a, it, everything launches narratives or movies. I call them, I'm making movies in my head about <laughs> what will happen if I make this decision or, or you know, and, and, yes. or if I don't make this decision. And it can lead to a kind of paralysis. And, and I think, you know, Fords are pretty imaginative people. And so, you know, really creative Bergman films can go off, you know, in, in the head that are not uh, always very helpful. Um, so let's talk about different Enneagram types in decision making. Let's do. That sounds fun. Right? Because I think this is going to be so helpful for every single type because every type on the Enneagram makes decisions differently. Right? Right. Uh, so you got any observations about it? Well, I, I have observations. I can't wait to hear yours. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, all right. So let me just unpack a little bit of stuff, and then we can maybe uh, you can we can jump in on it together. That's so, good. all right. So um, we all have centers of intelligence, right? Um, we have head, heart, and gut. So eight, nines, and ones. You folks are in the gut triad. Twos, threes, fours. You're in the heart triad. Five, sixes, and sevens. You're in the head triad. So. As I think about decision-making, you know, I think obviously eight, nines, and ones are going to tend, not exclusively, but tend toward making inst you know, decisions instinctually, right? At some level, it's going to be coming from that space. Five, sixes, and sevens, you know, they're going to approach decision-making from a thinking space first. And then primarily twos, threes, and fours from, from a feeling space, right? So, so for example, knowing how does this help with decision-making? Okay, so you and I are fours. For you and I, the way that this, uh, you know, these different, uh, in these centers of intelligence can help us, you and I feel first. We feel things first. We support our feeling with thinking. And then what's, re what's repressed in us yeah. is doing. Mm -hmm. it's, that's yeah. what's repressed. The goal of knowing when you work with centers of intelligence, right, or balancing centers, is you want to identify your repressed center, which for us is doing, and bring, not not take your, you know, um, your feeling center down to match it. You want to exercise your doing and bringing it up into balance, right, with your other two, so that you're thinking and doing and feeling in equal measure. You see. Yes. In, instead of it being a hierarchy, you want to bring everything up into balance, right? And so I love what you just said because, you know, uh, force in the face of a decision could get all feely. And it's like, no, now just do the next right thing. You know what I mean? So that's yeah. that, that really spoke to me. So let's just kind of run through the numbers and talk about how each one might make decisions. I think for a one, faced with a decision, maybe the first thing that, um, they would think is um, what's the most principled, ethical, good, uh, right thing to do? 
right? If they're faced yeah. with a decision, two alternatives, it's going to come down to what's right, what's principled, what's the best for everybody, or what's, you know, what is um, the virtuous good thing here, right? So that would be, uh, it would be a just do what's right thing, right? For twos, I think it, um, a lot of the decision would be around people and relationships. How is this going to affect people? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think they might ask themselves the question, what if, you know, making this decision a particular way upsets people? That's going to affect their decision making, right? Right. Um, I think, and so one of the questions uh, that they're going to toy around with is how, how is this going to affect the relational sphere, right? My relational sphere. Um, I think for a three, they're going to ask, what's the most efficient choice? <laughs> what right. is, you know, like, what's the solution? They don't want to talk about feelings. They don't want to talk about what you think. It's like, well, how, you know, it's going to be more like, what's the most efficient solution? What's going to get us across the finish line fastest? Where we want to go next, right? I think for fours, this is my experience. And my, by the way, I have a th- manager who's a three, and he actually knows this about me and has to work around it with me. He'll say, we need to make this decision. And I go, hmm, all right, well, I, I need to think about it. I, I just, I need to, I need to, mm, I need to muse about this for a little bit. And he looks at me like, like he just sort of, <laughs> you know, it just sort of, because I think fours, when they're faced with the decision, can go there. You know, yeah. it's, 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 it's how we perceive decision making. Right? Which, which when you say it, it sounds like a thinking space. But what, when I do that, because I do the same thing, it's for me, it's a uh, thinking about whether or not I will feel like this decision is going to reflect who I most deeply am. Yes. Or I think, yes. And then, or um, what was I going to say? It's like, I'm thinking of thinking about feeling. Yes. And then my feelings like, uh, gets in the way of my doing. Right. So it's like, <laughs> I, I just get lost in the, let me, let me ponder this decision mm-hmm. instead of, you know, going to the high side of one and saying, nope, let's just do it. You know, let's right. just get going, right? Right. I, you know, what does a five do when they're, when they're making a decision? They're, they're going to say to you, like, I need all the facts. Yes. Tell me. I just got to get, please give me all the details. So we're launching a new product um, this week. And, and uh, so in one of our, the, our emails that we send out, I learned this week, because I don't know anything about this world, that you, you want to address an audience that tends to be what they call the methodicals. Do you know yes, about this? I do. I, know, yes. I don't know anything about it. Uh-huh. I was like, really? So, I, And I said, well, who are those people? And they said, oh, they're the people who need all the details. They need uh, to know. They want it all. They want it all. That's, those are fives. Yeah. I, I'm sure of it. I think it's ones, probably. I think, you know, I think sixes. I mean, it's, it's people that say, I, I need to know all the facts before I make a decision. Um, but fives in particular, I think. For sixes, um, you know, the way they, they perceive it is, you know, maybe, uh, uh, well, first of all, as we all know, right, for sixes, decision-making is hard. Mm-hmm. It is very hard. So what a six will tend to do is think that what's the worst thing that will happen if I don't make a decision? <laughs> right. Right. So therefore, I have to go outside myself and ask other people who seem to be, you know, have a, more of a sense of authority or, or know-how or knowledge what they think I ought to do. What decision yeah. I ought to make, right? What were you going to say? Well, just my mom's a six. And, mm. you know, she would make decisions based on, only based on what's the worst thing that could happen. Or what's the worst thing that has happened in the past. So so every decision, it seemed like, was often just a prevent, preventing the worst. 
I'm going to make a decision that's going to prevent the worst from happening. Right, right. So I think a seven is going to start thinking when faced with a decision, well, what are all the options? Right. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, show me the buffet of options here that I from um, from a mistress I can choose, right? I think an eight would say, oh, no, this is simple. Just, uh, you know, make a gut decision. Right. Just make a gut decision. And th- this is why eights are big decision makers. I mean, they're just like, mm-hmm. boom, do it, right? And and I think with, with nines, nines struggle with decisions for different reasons than sixes do. Um, but... They they have trouble with decisions as well. They can kind of get stuck in this space of I think um, can I put it off or can I can I wait until somebody else makes it? Can I you know it's it's you know because <laughs> if when you make a decision, it might be unpopular or cause conflict, which is what a nine wants to avoid. Yeah, that's a great point. So isn't it amazing? Every type makes decisions in different decisions in different ways. Right. And every type, um, one thing that I think is interesting to think about with these types in decision making is when you've made a decision that you've later regretted, what was the reason for that regret? Ooh. And for me, as a, like, I think about the different spaces, like for, um, I talked with a friend of mine who's a one, and she said, I was mad I didn't trust myself more. Mm. That it was that was her place of regret. Whereas for my husband, who's a two, he would say, well, it negatively affected people who I love. Mm. And so that was my reason for regret. For a three, I wonder, I don't know about a three, but maybe, um, you know, it, it, it made me look bad or it, fa- it failed. I couldn't spin it into a success, mm. perhaps. Um, but I know for, for um, someone who's in the head space, um, so that maybe they made the decision too quickly and mm-hmm. didn't know all the options. Right. That could be a reason for regret. Like, oh I, oh, I learned something later that if I only would have waited, I could have had that piece of information. Right. Um, so it's interesting to think about it from those lenses of why. Like for me, when I look back and regret, um, it is because I feel like a decision I made didn't fully reflect what I really thought. Because I have this deep desire to be understood, right? And so yeah. if I make a decision based on something that isn't fully what I believe or a val- value-based, then I regret, like, even if it wasn't wrong, you know, it's that's difficult. And then I think there are people who, who don't regret. They're like, what are you talking about regret? It's yeah. over. I don't even right. think about it. <laughs> Those are eight. I mean, an eight. Right. I mean, an eight is like that. I think you know. It's like, well, for bad or for worse, that was it. Let's go. Let's move on. You know. It's like, you know. I, yeah. Yeah. Regret. Eights do have regrets, but it, it's it, they're not visit very often. They don't share often what they are necessarily. A young eight. Um, but listen, I want to come back uh, to this issue about different types and, and decision making. I want to learn more about the book and what's happening with it. So, um, different types in decision-making. I think this is really important for folks because, obviously, we're faced with numerous, numerous decisions in the course of a day and in the course of a life. And some of them really are monumental, super important decisions. I like the idea that, that decisions aren't sort of a one-and-done moment a lot of the times. They're incremental, 
You know, mm. like you, and when you chunk them down by just simply saying, do the next right thing, you know, it's made then over um, kind of, it's it's got a longer tail, you know? It, it's not like a boom, like a safe falling out of a fourth story window, you know? It's right. like, it's a little <laughs> bit more chunked down and then a little less threatening to people or, you know, so I think I think that's fantastic. When you walked away from finishing the book, what was like the big aha, like sort of thing that you're like, this is what it comes down to? You know, yeah, obviously do the next right thing. But was there something else about decision making and different kinds of people that maybe across types that you would say, here's the nugget? What a great question that is. You know, I, this book started out as a podcast first. So it's the Next Right Thing podcast. Mm-hmm. And over the course of the podcast and hearing from listeners and what I started noticing was happening. So so I say that because the book is just now coming out. But this conversation has been going on for a couple of years now, a year and a half. So I've been already getting feedback from people. Mm. And the feedback that I get that I'm getting from listeners and readers um, is so interesting to me. And it is, I will hear, pe- people will tell me, Thank me for helping them make their decision about, I listened to the podcast or I heard this episode and I, we decided to move forward with this house decision or with this vocation or we moved across the country. And I'm thinking, okay, that's interesting. I have never, not one singular time told one human person what to do in a situation. Mm. I don't know. I haven't heard their thing. I'm not really. Truly, I'm not helping them make the decision. All this concept is doing, the gift of doing the next right thing, the gift of that mindset, that posture, is helping people create space for their own soul to breathe. No matter what number on the Enneagram they most identify with, we all need that space to clear the clutter and to get in touch with what's happening beneath the surface so that we can connect the dots for ourselves. Mm. And I think that's one of the key bedrocks for decision making that I've discovered is we live in a worn out world and it's run by worn out people. And when it com- when we have a big decision that we're faced with, um, it can it can derail us really in many ways, mm-hmm. which is why I think it's so important to um, develop a, a practice of listening to our own life, as Parker Palmer talks about, mm-hmm. um, let your life speak. It, it's it sounds like a like that's just for the contemplatives, but wouldn't we all do well to have a little bit of contemplation in our lives to help us form some type of foundation for decision making? Because it yes. really is about the person that we are becoming. Mm, so good. So let's talk about maybe um, uh, recommendations we would give to different types as they were in the middle of an important decision making process. Ooh, that's fun, right? Because as you were just saying, like, you know, I've never told anybody, you know, how, what decision they ought to make, right? Right, that, right. right. And, and I think that's wise. You know, we would ask questions. If I think a good friend or a counselor would say, well, I'm not going to make that decision for you, but here are some questions I might ask that, to help you in the process of making your own decision, right? Yes, right. So you're fairly familiar with the Enneagram. If you were thinking about ones, perfectionists, do you have any advice that you would give a one making a decision? I think I I love your point about asking questions. I think a one um, likes to make the a one likes to know what to do. They want the clarity. Mm -hmm. And I think that that can be a gift, but it can also be a burden when clarity 
it's not time for clarity yet. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So being encouraging a one to to be willing to carry the mystery for a little bit of time, which will be so uncomfortable, I would think, for a one. Yes. To not to, it's like they want to make the decision now, but maybe it's not time. I think that might be my first question would be, is this the time to make that decision? Do mm-hmm. you have to make it now? And if not, can you wait in this gray space without going crazy? Mm. And and yet at the same time, because I think these are all like you know, uh, depending on person dependent, sometimes ones will delay or procrastinate making decision for fear they'll make a mistake. Right, it's a great point. So they'll get paralyzed, and mm-hmm. and and they'll kind of get this thing going where it's like, well, what what if I make the wrong decision? What if I make a mistake? And so at some points, I think you know, with a one, you know, uh, you you might you might ask, you know. Um, what's uh, it, uh, let's make uh, to say to one let's say it is the wrong decision um, would that be so bad uh, right invite them to relentless kindness to themselves mm-hmm. which I think is so is difficult for a one to be kind to herself right. yep yep now so I'm sticking in that space here right of the of the gut types the body types if you were an eight in my mind, and I'll, I'll turn to you in a second, I, I would be like, when it comes to decision-making, and they're like, you know, I'm having trouble making a decision. Eights oftentimes don't ask that question enough. You know, they tend to make a decision and inform you later. <laughs> and I have, with times with eights, I've had to say, slow down. Slow down. Think through the consequences of whatever decision you're about to make because, <laughs> because you are so from the gut when you make decisions that sometimes it's, you know, there's a price on the other side of the decision that you haven't baked into your calculations. Is that your experience with those kinds of aggressive eight types? Yeah, I think that's great advice, slow down. Mm. Yeah, for others it's speed up. But for eights, it might be think, slow down, think before you, you make that decision. How about nines? What do you think about nines in decision making? What, what, how, would you, how would you counsel a nine in the face of a decision? Oh man, I think nines, the nines I know anyway, are, are so interesting because it's not that they don't have opinions or, or even know, or even have things they want to do. They're just willing. They're just so open with it. It's all, Mm -hmm. it's, they hold it lightly. Um, and so, but, but, but they want to be hurt. They want to know their opinion is heard. Like mm-hmm. They want to. They want to know, and so um, I think when it comes to making a decision for a nine, maybe I would encourage a nine to um, to trust themselves. Mm-hmm. And I that might be difficult for a nine to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and what I hear, because I also think that's good advice for a six, right? Trust your trust your own ability to your own decision making abilities. Like, don't you don't have to go outside of yourself to get to some you know, a person onto whom you have projected authority or some belief system onto which you have projected authority. Trust what's going on inside and make a decision from that space. My wife's and I, my daughter's and I, I think a lot of times with nines, I, I guess one of the questions I would ask would be, uh, is, the, is that decision you're making based on what you really desire? Or is that decision based on what you think is going to keep everybody happy and harmonious? <laughs> yeah. Uh, is going to create the least amount of conflict, you know? Mm-hmm. I think that's a question I might come up on and I go, what do you really desire? What do your desires tell you? 
And that's going to, again, a lot of these questions are going to baffle types because they're going to be like, um, you're going against my established pattern of decision-making or the way I respond to decision-making. And it's like, well, that's what a good question should do is kind of mess around with you, right? Mess that's around. right. All right, so we did one, eights, and nines. Let's talk about people in that uh, uh, in the heart space. Twos are faced with a decision. And they come to you, a two comes to you and says, man, I don't know, I'm faced with this decision or I've just, I think I'm making it this way. What do you think? How it, A two, the helper, what, what, what might you say to them? Well, it's interesting you asked the nine the question, what is it that you want? Because I would ask a two that question too mm-hmm. because I think... Um, they they are so aware of the needs of other people that I I think a, a two sometimes might tend to worry that what they want is is selfish is getting in touch with that. Yep. Um, so that might be a question I would ask a two. So what's really great is that you just drew this connection between twos and nines, and both would have to ask the question: What do I want? Right. What do I desire? This is why twos and nines often get mistyped, right? Because there's a little bit, well, they they oftentimes appear on the outside to look, they look very similar at times, right? They're accommodating, they, you know, they kind of are, but it's a very different interior world, right? And I guess, um, you know, for for twos, yeah, I would ask the question as well, uh, but but I also might frame it this way, what do you need? Hmm. Like, what are your needs? Uh, are you factoring your needs into this calculation? Or are you just meeting the needs of others here? Is it based on meeting other people's needs? Or are you also taking into account that you too have needs? Right? Mm-hmm. And how does how does this how will this decision affect you? Is it upside for everybody else? You're meeting everybody else's needs, but it's really going to cost you. And again, this is going to freak it two out because they're going to be like, wait a minute. I, I don't think this way normally. And I'd be like, exactly. Go against the grain of how you normally do <laughs> things sometimes in order to figure out what's the next right thing to do. You know? Preach, what's, preach. Bring it. All right, what about threes? They're a little tough, I think. How, what would I, you do? To, I mean, a three doesn't, you know, like, again, they're pretty confident, assertive types. They don't often necessarily go out looking for, you know, information about how to make a decision. But if they did, what would you sell, say to them? It's it that this one is is tough for me honestly. I think one question I might ask is is um why do you want to why do you want to do that thing? If it's a thing mm. they want to do, if the decision has to do with making a decision of moving forward towards something because I th- I think in some sometimes threes might um be looking looking for something that maybe they don't even realize um they haven't it be, how would I say it? The the achiever energy of a three could be looking to achieve a thing just for the sake of achieving it without it having a grounded uh, reason. Mm. And maybe they, if they look at it, they realize, oh, I don't. Maybe I don't actually want that thing after all. Mm. So maybe getting beneath the beneath the motivation for the achievement. Um, because I think if a three got to a space where they were asking about a decision, that that's an inter- that's an interesting space for a three to be in in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, similar to an eight, what you said, an eight. I don't know that they would ask that question really. Mm. I agree. I think I think that for threes, you know, when, if a three is making a decision, I would ask the question. So, what's the motivation? Like, 
what what's motivating you in a particular direction? Is it because you want to look good? Is the I mean, on what basis are you making the decision? Is it in self interest? Is it uh, in order to get ahead, or is it really in the best interest of the whole community? Does it serve everybody? I mean, are you thinking of more widely beyond yourself here as you make that decision? Um, I think that could be something really important for uh, for a three to consider. Let's let's go to um, uh, talking about uh, fives. Ooh, fives. Fives are actually can be pretty good at decision making. Yeah, if you if you were talking to a five, what would you ask a five in uh, the making a decision? Hmm. What would I ask a five? Well, I might say, um, how much time are you spending researching the decision? <laughs> you would ask them for the receipts. <laughs> yes. I would probably say to them, uh, you know, eventually you have to get off the Internet and stop researching which car to buy and go buy the car. Just so, take a car. Yeah. Have you put a clock on how much time we're going to spend doing the research yet? I think that's what I would do with a five. As they're trying to facing a decision, I tell them to stop thinking so much and go just go do it (laughs) that's good that's good and what are you trying what are you trying to avoid Hmm. Mm. i think i think sometimes it can be telling that um that a five might be trying to uh, avoid a risk interpersonal risk that they maybe aren't aware that that's what they're making the decision based off of if that makes sense yeah totally Totally. Yeah, we all have these biases inside, you know, that are, are, are affecting decisions that we're unaware of. And I think that's so much a part of what this is, you know, what you're what we're driving at here is like, are you self-aware enough and have enough self-knowledge that you are you understand what how do I make decisions? What are the downsides and the gifts that I have when it comes to making decisions? And how can I fend off the downside? Right. So a five could actually tell themselves at some point, okay, I've been researching too long. They shouldn't have to wait. You know, it's like, uh, you know, (laughs) a three should be able to ask themselves a healthy three to ask themselves, okay, I got to make a decision. I'm good at making decisions. I just have to ask myself, am I making this decision in interest to in service to the to the, the community or just in interest to my own perhaps need to to succeed, even if maybe it costs other people, so forth and so on. I think with sixes, um, that's a really interesting one because that one of the hallmark features of sixes is they struggle with decisions. And and I, I think one of the questions I might ask a six is, as they were making a decision, would be, what are you most afraid could happen? What do you think? Yes, what are you afraid of? Or what's the worst thing that could happen? And I would mm. also want to ask a six, what's the best thing that could happen? Oh, so good. To begin to cast a hopeful vision that yes. they could, they can actually use their imagination in restorative and redemptive ways. Oh, that's so good! That is so good. I, I just I want to commend that to all you sixes and those of you who love sixes. Like sixes often forget past successes when they made decisions and it worked out, or when it didn't work out and they survived. You know yeah. that everything was okay. Well, you made the wrong decision, but hey, we're still here. You know, um, so, you know, I think for me with sixes, um, yeah, just, you know, saying, what's the worst thing that could happen? Yeah. yeah. What's the worst thing that could happen? And actually yeah? name it. Yeah. I think that's that could be really, really great with a six. Yeah. 
All right. You got a seven in your life? I love sevens. Mm. Sevens are, sevens are, I, I, I need sevens in my life. Oh, and I have them and I love them. You and me both. I have, I have a seven <laughs> son, man. He's the best. The best. Right. I have a seven son-in-law too. I, I actually like, you know, I, I actually put, you know, picked up another one on board and I love having them around. <laughs> so good. What would you ask a seven? You well, go. sevens can be, a, when they're not very self-aware, sevens can be a little narcissistic. Um, you know, three, people tend to think that threes are, are the narcissists when they're unhealthy on the Enneagram. It's, I, I don't agree. I think it's the sevens. That's interesting. Tell told, us why. Yeah, well, because it's all about fun and I don't want anyone to shut down my limitations or my options. And so don't, they don't like being told what to do or how to do it. Um, they... They can, they get very very defensive, and when you when you if a, when a seven makes a decision, and you you get up in their grill about it, the rationalizations that come out are amazing. <laughs> the litany of why this is the right decision, because you know it's like it just comes out like a like a like a a defense attorney. You know and they just <laughs> will go on and on and on, and so you know. Uh, maybe I'd ask a seven, are you making this decision because it sounds like the most fun thing to do? Or are you making this decision because it's the best thing to do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. You know, and so, uh, you know, are you buying this car because it'd be really a fun thing to do, but what, without thinking about what the cost might be for others? In the same way I might say to an eight, you know what I'm saying? It's like, are you, because sevens are impulsive. Yeah. They can make impulsive decisions. They can make bad decisions because it's like on the Johnny on the spot. Well, that's a great idea. Let's jump off that cliff into the water without, you know, without <laughs> thinking how deep is the water? <laughs> you know? Right, right. Let me think this through. Yeah. Which I, I admit, sometimes I envy that, the imp- the impulsivity of some of the other types that I don't seem to have. Sometimes right. I'm like, oh, man, if only I could just do that. But you're right. There's a downside. Well, yeah, because sometimes what a seven will say is spontaneity is actually impulsivity. Right. I guess that's two different things. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. And they can have really different outcomes, really, really different outcomes. And so uh, we've already touched on nines, right? Did we do the circle? The circle of life? Except for fours. Did we talk to fours? Oh, we didn't talk to fours. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Hold on a second. I just want to say that there's some. There's something's up. Something's going (laughs) on. Something is going on. As a therapist in the room, what I'm feeling is <laughs> that was called resistance. That was called like sort of, I don't know, like some kind of weird, overlo- strange, convenient uh, overlooking. Overlooking. Of, yeah. Uh, yeah. Man, That's what would funny. I tell a four? We got three fours in the room. We have nobody to tell the fours. Well, I'm trying to think about what's helped me. Okay. I will tell you this. <laughs> When I've had to make decisions, I've often gone to fives to help yes, me. Yes, me mm. too. My sister's a five, and I call her my no mentor because she helps me say no to stuff. Right. And the other thing that they do is they, they cut through all your feelings because I get all up in my feelings when I have yep. to make a decision. Yes. And I need a five to say to me, what's the information? And I'll say, well, should I move here or move there? And they go, give me all the information. And I go, well, here's what I know. And they'll be, I'll get back to you. And about two days later, they'll say, you know, I thought about it. I did a little research. And uh, I believe from a very objective point of view, which will be always what you get from a five, it'll be very objective. 
And they'll say, I think you ought to do this based on the information you gave me. I think you ought to do this. And I'll be like, thank you. And it's awesome. So I need to rely. I, I often will go to a five and say, I'm, I'm all up in my feelings. Can you, can you tell me from an objective, non-feeling point of view, what's the right next step? Yeah, that's good. That's good. I will say this, if I if I could defend, defend the feeling space, is that like we said earlier, um, I, I do think that there's no hierarchy of what's what's the best way to make a decision as far as from your feel from your head, from your heart, or from your gut. Um, and growing up somewhere along the line, I picked up that feelings are not okay, and that right. I need to you know they need to be pushed. And I and I what I'm learning as I'm growing now, this is you know it's mm-hmm. a process, but I am learning the gift that our feelings can bring to us, even in the process of making a very logical, informed, grown-up decision, Mm. that feelings might not always tell us the truth, but they do give us important information. And so for me to not discount my feelings in a situation is so important in making healthy, wholehearted decisions because I can say, okay, when I think of this particular thing, um, I feel a sense of lightness, and I want to pay attention to that, you know, even in my body, because I go to a body space in some ways when I feel like I'm really paying attention, I'm really self-aware um, versus feeling like this feels like a dark gray, like this feels like a, like a, like a rainy, like this does not feel right, you know? And so though I might not make a solid decision based on uh, colors, right. for example, I do think they can bring important information to the table. All right. This is an awesome place for us to end. Okay. So every, every type on the Enneagram, listen to me. Number one, ask yourself the question, how does my type affect my decision making? You know what I mean? Like just to self just to reflect on it. Like how has my historically how has my type affected the way that I make decisions for good or for ill? How how does it help? How does it hinder? Just good reflection material, right? But the second thing I think that I would bring to it is what you just said which is okay, we all got three centers, but one's dominant. Right. So if you're a dominant, you know, in the gut space, eight, nine, one, you know, consider the thinking and heart space in addition to the gut space. If you're a two, three, four in the heart space, as you make a decision, bake into your calculations, you know, what your gut tells you as well as what your head tells you. Like, think about it, not just, you know, feel about it. (laughs) <laughs> if, if, if you're in that five, six, seven space, you're a thinker, you tend to make decisions, let's say, dominantly out of your thinking space. You need to listen to your gut and to your feelings and not discount them. How can we bring all three of these centers into balance as we make a decision? We, we draw on the wisdom of all three centers, thinking, feeling, and doing. And then I think if we do that, we have the best chance of making the right decision. What do you think? Absolutely. I You know what? You're not going to believe this. And we did not talk about this beforehand. I created a whole class to help integrate those three. And it, you get it for free when you order the book. So it's it's called Discern and Decide. And it's all about designing a rhythm of life that helps to sort of integrate those three places. Because I think we make our most soulful decisions, like you said, when we're able to lean on all of them. Mm. Emily, this was so good. I really enjoyed this. T- tell everybody uh, where they can get your book, The Next Right Thing. 
If you can get it anywhere books are sold, if you go to nextrightthingbook.com, you'll see all about the book. You can take a quiz, actually, to help you discover your decision-making style. So if you're Ooh. not sure, am I head, am I heart, am I... then? Because like you said, it is Enneagram, uh, but maybe not every decision we make always comes from that center. So we have a fun, you know, silly, but fun and very but, highly scientific quiz. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> but it's been scientifically validated using yes, predictive analysis right, and algorithms, right. right? From all my friends, yes. Yes. Yes, but that's where you can find that, nextrightthingbook.com. And then I'm Emily P. Freeman everywhere, Instagram, all the places. Man, this was so good. And I'm so glad I made the decision to have you on Typology. It was my next right thing. It was my next right thing to do. <laughs> and I, 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 you know, apparently I made it out of all three spaces because it, was, it, the right, was, it was the right one. It was a wholehearted decision. <laughs> Emily, thank you for being on. Uh, your book is fantastic. You are a wonderful human being. And this is a really important topic that I don't, I think people have overlooked. So thanks for, for taking on the mantle of, and running with it. And all you folks out there, listeners of Typology, we love you, and don't forget the words of the great Oscar Wilde. Be yourself. Everybody else is already taken. See ya. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.